would have been nice. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, can you still hear me okay? Or yeah, we did yeah, all our I, levels. I did good. all the levels all right, already. Right. I think we should be sure sound speed. Sure we are. We're red. I've been recording for the last like five minutes just to be sure. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we're sound speed. You can throw some B-roll on there. Maybe. This is what happens off mic. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are live from Lincoln, Nebraska. The whole squad is here. Joined by Sam and Jason. We'll start by introducing my father, Jason. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good to be back in the capital city. And I think last episode we were talking about record low temperatures uh, on a particular date. Uh, when we recorded last, I mean, it was 22 degrees, I think, that night before we recorded or a couple nights before we recorded. And today, man, this has to be a top 10 day. I mean, we've no got wind. 75 degrees, no wind. I mean, I have to believe that this is the first day in a month where we haven't had any wind. I mean, usually it's howling 25 to 35 miles an hour every Terrible. single day. But today is today's perfect, man. We should be sitting out on the deck. It's a little chilly. We don't got a lot of sun out there right now. True. Sunsets, sunsets True. on the other side. But, right. Uh, the other host on the podcast is Sam Kavan, who drove for about, what was it, seven hours? Or is it? Uh, closer to 11. Gotta oh, it's 11. Yeah. Wait, yeah, yo, be yo, 11 hours from uh, from Texas. And you made that drive on Sunday? Sunday, yes. So I missed, I stayed and watched game one of Nixon Heat. And then I was listening on the radio to game, or game seven of Warriors-Kings. And then I heard just too many times in the row, I heard Kevon Looney offensive rebound <laughs> like three Crazy. times in one possession. I'm like, yeah. I I, like it's Insane. infuriating to even listen to this. So missed some games, but I made the drive. Yeah, and your Miami Heat have been uh, pleasantly surprising in the playoffs so far, and I'm guessing it's been pretty stressful as a Heat fan to watch them, you know, upset the one seed, which we'll, we'll get into here in a little bit, and then, you know, squeak out a win in Game One against the New York Knicks and stealing home court advantage. So you have to be pretty, uh, I'd say, pretty satisfied with what you've seen. I mean, you probably didn't expect them to be in the playoffs still at this point. Uh, no, I, I figured if you would have told me Bucks Heat ended in five, I would have been oh, so the Heat stole one at home, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely very surprised. So, yeah, let's talk about that Milwaukee-Miami series a little bit before we jump into the second-round stuff. Jimmy Butler basically put on the best playoff performance that I've seen since probably LeBron James's run in 2017 or whenever that was when he averaged like 34 throughout the playoffs. And honestly, that's something we've come to expect from Jimmy Butler. He's one of the best playoff performers in league history, he always steps up in the postseason. I mean, we mentioned last last episode that he'll have his three point percentage go from being twenty eight in the regular season to him shooting like forty percent on five attempts in the playoffs. Which just statistically and you know scientifically, any any way you try to break it down doesn't make any sense. Besides, uh, you can come to the conclusion that Jimmy Butler is just a better player in the playoffs, and he willed the Miami Heat to. Uh, a series win in round one. It's the first time the eight seed has beat the one seed since the Warriors did it. And like, was that with Baron Davis? I can't even remember. Yeah, between there, the Sixers got the Bulls in 2012, yep. which was when Derrick Rose's whole injury right. started. He didn't play so that series. That so. one had a reason for it, mm -hmm. but first time in over 10 years. Well, technically, the Heat are the first. I think I might have put this in our group chat, but I think the Heat are now the, first, the lowest seed to ever upset the one seed because technically... They entered the playoffs or the playing tournament, I should say, as the ninth seed. So they are the first ever ninth seed to upset the one seed, which is historic in itself. And 
they were up by three. They were up three one against the Bucks. I thought the Bucks would at least uh, getting Giannis back, having Middleton playing at a high level again. I thought they'd at least be able to make it interesting. But the Heat weren't playing around. They took care of business in business in five games. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Jimmy Butler, and you guys correct me on this if if you know any different. I did not a ton of research, but a little bit of research to try to find two consecutive games in the same series where someone scored more than points than he did. I mean, in game four, um, to go up 3-1 in Miami, had 56, led that huge fourth quarter comeback. Uh, I mean, the, he'd outscored the Bucks by 16 in the fourth quarter. And then in game five in Milwaukee, he comes back and drops 42. So 98 combined points in back-to-back playoff games against a one seed. Uh, might be the two best non-finals games in a row ever but scoring wise i look back of course jordan did it a few times where not against a one seed and part on the road in a closeout game but he had like 100 plus points in those two games combined um so it's like a playoff scoring tear we haven't seen in the league since michael jordan um which isn't helping the uh, whole you know jimmy butler's michael jordan's son <laughs> conspiracy theory but you know whatever uh so it starts obviously with Jimmy Butler and what he's able to do for that offense, especially with Tyler Hero out. The shot creation, I mean, the shot creation is just not there for the Heat without him. The supporting cast of the Heat stepped it up huge, especially from three. They were one of the worst teams in the league from three this year. They've been, I think, percentage-wise, still the best in the playoffs so far this year, even with I believe two so. games in New York. So it's not just Jimmy Butler who stepped his game up. They played fantastic team defense, especially down the stretch, uh, which could be part – Budenholzer and the Bucks' fault, but we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but great team defense. The role players are playing their roles really well. It's just that shot creation role, especially without Tyler Hero, it's not there without Jimmy Butler. Um, he knows what he has to do for that team to win, and that's go absolutely crazy, be the source of offense, be that engine, while also playing great defense within that role. He's still getting steals to lead to those big uh, – fast break dunks that he, and layups he likes to get a few times every playoff game. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Butler coming up big, especially in a series where offensively Bam Adebayo um, hit, hit, was, he was good down the stretch in game five. Um, but He just, showed up when he really needed to. He showed up he when he needed to. Series. But and defensively especially, his defense on Giannis mm-hmm. at the end of game five was outstanding. Um, but offensively has kind of regressed to that Two years ago, Bam, where he's just so passive. Um, yeah, I was disappointed yeah. uh, in that last game against the Knicks with Jimmy out. I, I just was begging Bam to take a more aggressive role offensively, and he just wouldn't do it. It just looks like he's still reluctant to do it. He I, he didn't do it at all, and they, the Heat really needed that in Game 2 in New York. Um, it still worked. a very close game. Still a very yeah. close game, which you keep it there, and you need your best player on the court, who without Jimmy is, is Bam. Need him to step up and be that dude down the stretch. They couldn't quite get it done. Um, just no shot creation, no offense down the stretch against New York, which you expect that to change a little bit with Jimmy Butler coming in. And, of course, it's like that. That's where Tyler Hero is needed. In the Bucks series, they didn't need him quite as much. But with Jimmy out against the Knicks, they – I mean, the guy they were looking to to create a bucket was Kyle Lowry, who has been fantastic in the playoffs. But that's – Kyle Lowry. That's really – yeah. The, Kyle Lowry at age – whatever age he's at is not who you want every game down the stretch taking those shots yeah and he's uh how much is he making this year is he like a 30 million dollar player this year right yeah 30 million dollar backup point guard (laughs) and during the regular season that's looked at as 
one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, but they need him now. I, they need him now. After every loss, Heat Instagram pages would just be flaming Kyle Lowry. But now he's out there. He's taking charges. He's playing good defense. He's hitting shots. He's blocking shots. He's blocking shots. Yeah, I don't know. Crazy. I don't know how he's able, even able to get up off the ground enough to block shots, but he does it. Um, just, yeah, fan- fantastic play from the Heat so far. Obviously exceeded what anyone expected of him, I think. Bucks Heat was expected to be the most lopsided series of the first round. Um, and it kind of was the other way. Um, yeah. But part of that, too, and I, I think we got to talk about this, uh, and I know it came out afterwards that Mike Budenholzer's brother died during the series. Oh, I didn't even um, know that. I, I, maybe car crash. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it Unexpected death. Not not that you know death is really ever expected. Um, so we cut him a little bit of slack, but wow, his... His coaching was terrible down the stretch. Yeah, he, got, it's, he it's, got worked by Spo. It's consistent. He's never made changes in the middle of a series. He got the year where he coached uh, in Atlanta when they played LeBron when Atlanta was the one seed. Cleveland's back-to-back games set the playoff record for three-pointers made, and he right. just failed. Right. They, they did it two games in a row, and he failed to make the adjustment. He just is stuck in his ways, and he doesn't like to change a whole lot of stuff. He's going to beat you using his brand of basketball, and – if he doesn't beat you, then he's not going to make changes because he lost. Yeah, and it, it what where they failed to make changes, the Bucks is after game four. I mean, they're down 3-1, and up to that point, they're like, okay, we got Giannis back, we're going back home. The people, like the Bucks are still really high on their chances to win. They should have seen, wow, down the stretch of game four, we could not get a consistent bucket on offense. Maybe we have to put a little structure in because he's been known to be doing that in Milwaukee where uh, they – I mean, I think they break out. They have some huddle breakout related to the word random. They just like to like they want their offense to be random, which works in the free flowing regular season. Bogs down when the play gets slower and more physical in the postseason. And that was the adjustment they needed to make from game four to five. Put more structure into the offense. Definitely, where it's not just that's where Bam stepped up, had his one of the best defensive quarters I've ever seen a player play really against Giannis. Uh, I think Giannis shot what like. One for nine in the fourth quarter in overtime. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't um, pretty. And every play, it started every play that they didn't get in the fast break or didn't see an immediate opportunity, they default to a Giannis post up. Yeah, and that resulted in him. He took like a fifteen foot hook shot. Yeah, he was shooting mid range jumpers. Shots. The bad only shots. thing random about their offense was which player is going to randomly isolate against Miami's defense this possession. Yeah, yeah. Like it, I mean. I have so much on this series, but Jake, why why is Budenholzer not going to high screen roll with Brooke Lopez late in that game? Yeah, he should. Because I mean, he could wh- roll. Where he is could, that? He I take mean, and pop. Even nobody, the Chris Middleton and Giannis pick and roll that won them the championship two years ago, they just seem not to want to yeah, go back to that. I don't get it. I mean, and nobody talks about Brooke Lopez, but he had a great series against Miami. And I mean, it's like. It gets down to crunch time, fourth quarter, and you go away from what you can do well. I, I don't get it. And that kind of brings me into the last thing I wanted to bring up about the Bucks was is their offseason this year is going to be interesting because Brooke Lopez is probably a top three defensive center in the league, probably just a top five center in the league if we're just yep. going to put it that way. He's up for a new contract this summer. A lot of teams are going to be throwing money his way. He's unrestricted, right? Unrestricted, yep. Mm-hmm. 
and I believe Chris Middleton is also up this year, but as a player option, I think that yes. he's going to opt into that. I would assume. I don't think he's going to get that kind of money anywhere else. No. But then you look at your roster, you have Giannis, who's obviously in the prime of his career and has never been better, and then you have three 30-year-old players with injury history. I mean, I guess Drew Holiday doesn't have a lot of injury history, but There's he's, still a he's going there. on like yeah. age 35. Brooke right. Lopez is going to be 37 next season, 36, 37. Right. And Chris Middleton just came off a devastating injury who, where he just now started to look like himself. So they definitely have some questions, not only on the roster, but are they going to bring Budenholzer back? I would be surprised if they if they let him go, or if they fire him. But I also wouldn't be too surprised if they decided to, you know, look at some other options. Right. And then what do you do at the shooting guard position? I mean, are you gonna are you happy with Grayson Allen? I mean, do you think they you haven't can... had a reliable shooting guard yeah, in years? I know years. it's been a long time, but I mean, don't you wouldn't you like to upgrade that position maybe? You would like to upgrade. They don't need to in my opinion, unless they let unless they make a shake up and get rid of Drew or Chris Middleton, I don't think they need to bring in a star or anything. But right. Someone who's more consistent than mm-hmm. Grayson Allen who Speaking of the Bucks' errors, had one of, like I mean he euro stepped the clock out, and, <laughs> which is also on Budenholzer for not calling one of the two timeouts he had left. Yeah, yeah I didn't but understand that. Um, I mean I was happy with it, but like yeah, Grayson Allen's not your long term starter answer there. So you need to upgrade, even if you don't make any major shakeups. You don't look for a star. You need a better player there. Okay, so back to the Miami and New York series. Uh, my cousin Austin, who listens to the show, sent me this tweet that he found. I didn't watch game two because I wasn't a, I wasn't home during the game. He sent me this tweet that says, "All in the, this is going to resonate with you, Sam, as, as a Heat fan. He's just as big as a fan as, as you. This guy said, all in the last five minutes of game two, refs give Knicks a four-point play even though the foul was way before the shot. Refs give Knicks five attempts in one possession because after each miss, they called a foul on the Heat. And then the last bullet point, refs take away two points and didn't bother to review if it hit the rim. I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. Is there any validity to any um, of those claims? So I, I'm not sure about the like extra possessions one on the fouls. I didn't see that. Um, I did see I – didn't, I didn't catch it live because I was doing at a bar doing trivia with my mom. Um, so I was watching at a distance. I missed the four-point play, saw a replay of it later. Uh, Bam trucked through a screen in an attempt to close on a Brunson. It was – Easily a half second before he got the shot up. Right. Um, obviously a foul, not a four-point play. And then I did see the shot clock. Um, so what happened, it was a kind of broken possession. Caleb Martin ends up having to put like put up a just-inside-the-line fader that obviously missed badly, but definitely hit the rim. Like Even when I'm watching across the bar, I can see the trajectory of that ball change. Mm-hmm. Fell right into, uh, I think, Kyle Lowry's hands. Like They just didn't box out on that side. He put up a layup. They call a shot clock violation in the, in the Knicks, credit to them, inbound the ball before Spolstrick can yell at the refs enough to get a review. So miss, miss points there to all bad calls, but to say that the game was on the refs is, is, not, is not right. I mean, the Heat just couldn't create enough offense in the fourth quarter. So I'm not going to say you're like, oh, it was the yeah. refs, but they, they had at least the two very, very poor calls. Um, I don't know if that really changes the outcome of the game. It certainly probably makes it a little bit closer at the end. Uh, but the Knicks ended up winning off free throws, put it to like, I think six or seven. Um, uh, yeah, six there. So if if those calls go one way, maybe it's closer. I don't think that changes the game. But there they was some interesting refereeing down the stretch. Yeah, I gotcha. So before we move off this series, Jason, with Struess, 
being banged up, I think he hurt his back in the in game two a little bit. Oladipo obviously is out for the season for the rest of the playoffs. Tyler Hero broke his hand. What is it going to take? I mean, is Udonis Haslam going to have to suit up for one of these games? What is it going to take for Miami to uh, to to win this series against New York? I don't know, man. I mean, you, you've obviously got one of the best coaches in the NBA. So, I mean, that that's where you start. Um, Spoh's going to make some adjustments and, and do what he can with what obviously is a limited roster. But I like the addition of Kevin Love. Um, he offers – I mean, he's only going to give you – 20 to 25 minutes a game but he rebounds and no one no one can push an outlet pass down the floor quite like that dude i mean he's an amazing passer and he brings something to the heat that you know they didn't have before i thought i think caleb martin's really playing himself into a huge contract i mean that guy that guy has been playing lights out they're gonna need you know more big games from him but i mean let's be honest Jimmy's going to have to come back and be Jimmy for the Heat to keep going and get to where they want to go. Yep. Because without him, unfortunately, I just don't know, you know, even if they can get past the Knicks. They just can't produce enough offense right. without him. Yeah. Right. So he's going to have to come back and he's going to have to be himself because honestly, Jalen Brunson, I mean, that dude, the shot making ability that he has is incredible he doesn't need a lot of space they run him off of screens uh they do a good job they 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 have done a great job especially in the playoffs and moving the basketball around on offense credit to the knicks because obviously we haven't always seen that with the type of offense that we've talked about on this podcast that they like to play but they've been moving the ball around really well and you know let's give credit to rj barrett i mean he's had a good series people were ready to bury that dude and he's really, really put together three or four really good playoff games. So it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see what happens. I mean, nothing's better than playoff basketball at the Garden, and these first two games didn't disappoint. Cool. So you guys want to – you guys have anything else for the Heat, or are you guys ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Let's move on. So I think we should move on to Philly-Boston. How's that yeah, sound? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so – we got the Philly, Boston, big yep. Screen right now, seven to eight, or I guess eight to eight. Someone just made a free throw about midway through the first quarter. Uh, if Philly somehow gets this win in Boston, I think that I'm ready to call the series. But I'm expecting Boston to to rebound off that game one loss. Let's talk about that game one a little bit. So surprisingly, to my surprise, I guess they didn't play Joel Embiid in game one. And I thought since they took care of business in round one, they swept the, the Nets. I think they had a nine-day... Yeah, it was nine days. Nine wow. days off. Nine I thought days. that'd be more than enough, especially because Embiid didn't even play that last game, so he had more than nine days. Right. I think he technically had 12 or 13 days yeah, off. Yeah, I think it was 12. So yeah. I thought that'd be more than enough to get that ankle rested up and get healthy for game one. But it really didn't end up mattering because we got a vintage Houston Rockets-style James Harden takeover game. He ended up with... 45 points and uh, six assists, and he hit the biggest shot of the game over Al Horford. Uh, he had a step back three, which put them up by two. And then I think the Celtics ended up fumbling the inbound pass or something or fouling on the inbounds, and Paul Reed ended up icing the game with two big free throws. Who Paul Reed had a great game. He ended up being plus eight, 10 points, 13 rebounds, uh, four of which were on the offensive glass. He had a great game. 
And uh, P.J. Tucker ended the game with zero shot attempts in 37 minutes. <laughs> so a, a vintage P.J. Tucker he game. did what over. he needed to do. Yeah, he zero did. He did attempts. have a good – he is actually plus six on zero shot attempts, yeah. which is just – it's very funny. He does, I mean, he just does stuff that other guys are unwilling to do. It I is mean, funny right to there, make the joke, He just so. gets himself – I mean, we're watching the game now. He just figured – he's so smart – and he understands rebound positioning and where the ball is going to come off, and he's always in the right spot. And he gets the Sixers so many second-chance opportunities. I think I counted four or five times in the second half of that game when it was still up for grabs. They would miss a shot. He would somehow get a back tip or a rebound that would lead to a score for Philadelphia. I mean, he just... He just does the stuff that no one else is willing to do, and he doesn't have to take a shot to affect the game. No, but like I said, it is it is funny to to point out that he just was allergic to shooting the ball in this game, but still had he did have a positive impact on the game, played great defense. But I think my explanation for how Philadelphia pulled this off and was able to steal home court advantage in game one, I mean, just look at how the last series went. They took care of business. They won in four games. And the Celtics did not. I believe the Celtics, I think that went to six games. Six yeah, games. the Hawks pushed it to six. Yeah. Exactly. So, and in my opinion, Doc Rivers coach circles around uh, Joe Missoula in this game. He outcoached his old team. I think they had a solid game plan going in. They knew Embiid wasn't going to play this game, so they built their game plan around, you know, let's let Harden do his thing, and hopefully it works. It, obviously, more than that went into it, but... Uh, the Celtics game plan was just awful. I don't know if they were expecting Embiid to play, if they game planned around him being there. But regardless of that, they were leaving DeAnthony Melton open for wide open threes like he's a bad shooter. Right. He ended up making five of six just practice wide open threes. Yeah, and you know why? Because you talked about they were running doubles at Harden constantly, yeah. at least, especially in the first half and maybe not so much in the second half, but they kept running doubles. And uh, I was listening for part of the game to the Boston uh, radio broadcast, and they were just talking about, like, you don't have to run doubles at, at James Harden. And I think they were planning on Embiid playing, and obviously they were probably going to run doubles at him the entire game. But it's like you can't leave guys like Niang, Melton, even Tobias Harris made a couple of shots. You can't leave those guys open around the perimeter. And you brought up the doubling Harden, which I think was the right move, especially with no Embiid. Why aren't they doubling Harden on the last possession of the game with Al Horford switched onto him? That's the yeah. one time you definitely want right. to run two guys right. at Harden when he's isolating at the top of the key with the chance to go up by, what was it, one or two that he put him up by? I think he put him up by two with that yeah, three. I think two, yeah. But, yeah, I just was not a fan of the of the Celtics' game plan. Uh, they ended up turning the ball over. Let me see here. They had that's what I was going to say. Turnovers. I think that was yep. the key to the game. Sixteen to only six for the Sixers, for the Sixers. and yeah. we remember all too well uh, the finals last year. It was the turnovers were brutal for Boston. The magic we, number: fifteen it, turnovers right. under fifteen. They were yep. thirteen and two with over fifteen turnovers. I don't think they won a game. They didn't win no. a game. Yeah. Um, and we thought, okay, they pick up Malcolm Brogdon. They bring in a new coach. Like that's going to take well. Not that they really intended on bringing in a new coach at the beginning of the season, um, but you thought they'd take care of that, and it just it has not fixed itself at all. I mean, to, to at home with no Joel Embiid to have ten more turnovers than the Sixers is unacceptable. Like you're not going to win games like that. No, and 
pretty much Boston won every battle except the turnover battle that I'm looking at. I mean, yeah. it was pretty even on fast break points, 10 to 14. Points off turnovers was 13 to 20, but obviously we brought up that that problem before. The Celtics had nine more assists. They had uh, si- they had 66 points in the paint to Philly's 42, which, I mean, that's to be expected without Embiid. They're going to be playing around the perimeter a little bit more. But, Jason, what do you think the the – X factor was in game one besides obviously Harden scoring 45 points. Did you see anyone else that was making an impact that, you know, stepped up in Embiid's absence? Yeah. I, uh, before I get to that, I was, I was going to say, I think I was in the group text during the game. Boston, I think missed three shots in the first quarter. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were 14 for 17, maybe something like that. And they were only up by three. 17 for 20. Yeah, 17 for 20. Wow. They're only up by three. I'm like, dude, this is a problem for Boston. And then they get to halftime. 75% field goal shooting in the first half. And I think they're only up, what, two or three? I think it was, yeah. 50. At halftime, they're up yeah. three. Yeah. They had the, the highest uh, percentage shooting in a half in the playoff in playoff history. Yeah, Isn't I that think, the stat that I saw? I think it was. And then I looked at the score and they were only up by yeah. three points. And I think I was texting you guys and I'm like, man, this is a bad sign for Boston that they shoot the ball that well and they're only up by three at half. So I don't know. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised. You talked about uh, Houston Rockets Harden and, and he he was that. I mean, he was... That was the best game that I have seen him play in the postseason ever. Ever in the postseason, you're correct, and probably since he's been with Houston. I mean, I don't he I don't think he had spurts like that with with Brooklyn. His, yeah, his, maybe a few games early on with the Sixers, but he has kind of deferred his offensive game to, to Embiid, obviously. Which, when you're the MVP of the league, I mean, you're going to do that. But he was so good and. I As talk, he hits another jumper in the game right yeah, here. Yeah, hits another jumper. And, and I was talking, I think, in the group text, or I might have talked to Jake after the game. We were having a conversation, and I'm just like, the 76ers ball movement in game one was so good. I mean, sometimes when they run it through Embiid, you know, at the uh, free throw line where they run the offense for him, the ball kind of stops. I didn't see that in game one. I thought the ball movement was the best that I've seen it for a Philly team definitely in the playoffs and maybe all year, you know, and, I agree. and people are like, I don't know. They can't win with MB, but boy, doc rivers had a good game plan. Like you said, and he, he did out coach Missoula in that first game. So it's interesting to watch the first part of this first quarter. I haven't seen Boston, uh, double team, uh, Harden or Embiid uh, very often at all in this first quarter. So they're kind of going straight up and kind of seeing if they can, maybe slow them down that way. So so far it's working only 10 points through seven minutes. Right, um, right. When they just benched Embiid, which I, I, is he on a yeah, minutes restriction? I assume he's so. not going to play more than 40 minutes this game. There's no way. Right. No, they won't. And they even won't. if they do, you know, they play Embiid 32 minutes this game, they end up losing by 15. That's not a big deal at all. They already have home court advantage. Right. They stole the game they needed to without Embiid. The main focus for Philly in this game is to get Embiid out without a setback. You know what I mean? Have him not yes. re-injure that. I mean, they just want to get him through this game as good as he was when the game started. Give themselves a chance to win this one because even if they don't, they still have home court advantage, which is a nice thing about 
uh, same thing with the Heat, who didn't have Jimmy Butler in game two. Like, okay, we already won game one right. on the road. We don't need to risk. Like, if, if it comes down to it, Philly's down 20 in the third quarter. They might, maybe they just bench Embiid, keep right. him healthy, bring it to game three back in Philly. Um, so we'll see. Also, I not this is anything basketball. I'm getting distracted by this drone flying around. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> that. See it? I've seen They're that switching the camera to it. Um, I just, I don't know. I hope That is weird. Luckily, P.J. Tucker, well, he might not shoot at all, but shooting those corner threes, he shoots with that low arc because otherwise someone might drill that thing. Um, True. Yeah, I've never noticed that in an NBA I've never game seen that before. Yeah, it reminds me of the NFL camera that you see on the screen yeah, going with the, back and forth. With the, uh, that's, and they keep that on cords because they can because it's a giant stadium. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll that, that isn't that is odd. Another thing I will say, it's not that important, but I, I, it might be a little bit. Is Harden's willingness to take a mid-range jumper? He's shooting pretty well from the mid-range, even just during the regular season was all right. But in the playoffs, I think he's shooting like forty-eight percent from mid-range, and right. that's something. I mean, in Houston, I I don't think he even thought about taking a mid-range mm-hmm. shot. So it's just weird to see him attempt those. Yeah, I mean, just a few minutes ago, we hit a little elbow jumper kind of little elbow fadeaway and i'm like wow james harden's doing that i didn't know i mean i figured he could he just doesn't but yeah I, that's I think the shot the celtics give him that he's gonna take that maury mm, and uh uh why can't i think of the the old coach in houston uh mike d'antoni, d'antoni. d'antoni yeah. They, yeah i think they averaged like 10 mid-range shots a game maybe less right yeah. during maury, those seasons he just didn't believe in that in taking and that he's shot. and he's the president of operations for the sixers this year so yeah i wonder if he's uh if he's accepted the mid-range after seeing some teams find success with it a little bit like phoenix and in brooklyn earlier this year yeah speaking of the mid-range i don't know who you wanted to cover next but i think that would be a good segue into the suns and nuggets yeah let's let's talk a little Um, bit about suns and nuggets um by the way um well actually jake you lead off yeah go ahead go ahead um I was going to say, so far, uh, the Ringer put an article on the Suns yesterday after their Game 2 loss on Monday night um, and listed the eight, or I'm sorry, seven highest games so far this postseason with the highest mid-range rate, so number of uh, mid-range shots per 100 possessions. Um, Game 4 of the Nets for Nets-Sixers was second with 58%. The other top six of the top seven games are all the Suns. In all, um, well, six out of the seven playoff games they've played so far, they have taken at least 45.8% of their shots from the mid-range. That's insane. Um, which there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, and you can say about analytics what you want. They do have two of the probably the two best mid-range scorers in the league with Kevin Durant uh, and Devin Booker. But there's a reason that teams have strayed away from the mid-range so much, uh, and you can kind of see it in the Suns' offense, at least you were able to in the first two games of this series. Yeah, definitely. I don't have a lot of specific statistical takeaways from the first two games. I will say that my prediction for this series, not going into this series, I didn't have this take, but I think this series might be over in five games. I just, especially with CP3, I don't know if, did you mention CP3 going oh, out? Yeah, also, yeah. Uh, Shams just said Chris Paul went down with a groin injury in game yep. two. He's out, expected to be out from games three through five. Um, and we might not see him again in this postseason, yeah. uh, unfortunately, because I don't see the Suns being able to keep up with Denver and what they have going on with, 
I mean, just a deeper team. The Suns, we've talked about their lack of depth and joked around how they really only trust four of their players. Uh, Torrey Craig, Jason brought up in the last episode, has been playing good for them. He had he plays good defense and has been shooting the three ball pretty well for them. It's what's pretty much all you can ask for. But without CP3 in the next few games, their offense is just going to look even slower and sloppier than it has in the first two games. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, as great of scorers as they are, is just not going to be enough to keep up with what the Nuggets have been doing, especially when Jokic sits, they still put points on the board, and they're better defensively. So that's something that I said we're going to have to keep an eye on in the postseason, and it's held up true in the first two games of the Phoenix and Denver series. I just think that once the Suns have an offseason together, they get a training camp with all the guys, they they sign two to four bench players you know that, that can provide some relief when KD and Booker sit and maybe a, a better backup point guard to so Chris Paul doesn't have to play an excessive amount of minutes in the regular season. I think they just need a you know a training camp together. It's you can't throw a team together like two like a month before the playoffs start and just expect them to go yeah. all the way. And and let's not forget that KD misses what three weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he, he gets plays hurt. Two, he plays two games and then misses three weeks. So I mean, there's three weeks gone that you could have developed some more chemistry. Yeah, and then look know? at the other side. Uh, like the other side of the aisle in Denver, they've been to several postseasons together, probably going on four or five at this point. They've had the same core together: MPJ, Jamal Murray, Jokic. Uh, now Aaron Gordon, I believe, has been on the team for a couple years now. They just look and like they've gelled so well together, and it looks like this is, I mean, excuse me, I was about to say Embiid. Jokic has won back-to-back MVPs. This is the year that he needs to prove it. I think, and this is his year to make the finals, and I maybe the conference finals. I, I don't know if they're if they're beating yeah. the Lakers or Warriors. We'll get into that later. But I think this is the year where Jokic proves that he is a playoff player and can lead a team to you know the conference finals or even the the NBA finals eventually. And you know, with how well this group is playing together, I believe I made this comparison earlier in the year, like much or uh, January, I think somewhere around there, um, about who. What, what watching the Nuggets reminded me of, at least offensively, and then what the stats backed up is the 2013-14 San Antonio Spurs and the way that now Jamal Murray is a player who doesn't quite fit into that just because I don't know if the Spurs had anyone who would just go nuclear, at least a guard. Tony Parker wasn't wasn't quite doing that. He was Man, Manu, that Manu had his moments That's where he, true. Where he yeah. could fill it up. It just yeah. offensively, and this Nuggets team isn't quite as good defensively. I mean, that Spurs team is one of the best teams of all time, but I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying you watch them play, and I, I think that was a – a pretty solid comparison. They, yeah. what I think is scariest for the Suns, um, well, in addition to the fact, obviously, that they're down 2-0, is that Jokic and Murray haven't had a good day on the same night yet. Right. In True. game one, obviously, right. Murray went nuclear. Jokic, for his standards, had a very poor shooting night. Nine for 21 when his right. effective field goal percentage was like, what, 65% plus in the regular season? Yeah. And then in game two... Came out really aggressive. He came out... Yeah, he he, he takes 30 shots, which might be his high for the season. I don't even know if he's taken 30 shots in a game this yeah, year. Yeah, I, honestly, I, we could look it up. It might be his high. Uh, puts up 39 points, but then Jamal Murray goes three for 15, only gets 10 points. Now, he's still at a couple of big buckets down the stretch. He made plays, but they haven't had a good... Like, a great offensive night, or at least shooting-wise, on the same night yet. Right. Um, I don't think Jokic has hit 10 assists yet in this series. If... 
if you're the Suns, like a lot of team, you're the or a lot of times you're the Suns who are seen as the favorites. I think coming in, you drop those first two, you're like, okay, well we just need like they should still be afraid. We have Kevin Durant, we have Devin Booker, they're gonna go off. That fair, but the Nuggets haven't even had their stars be clicking on the same night yet, and they still dominated Game One and then pulled away for a pretty healthy, pretty solid, comfortable win in Game Two. And you can just take a look at the role players that have been stepping up for Denver in the first two games. Like Bruce Brown has had a couple I great love games. Bruce Brown. I mean, you and Definitely. I have talked about Bruce Brown. We talked about him last year for Brooklyn in the playoffs. We're like, he's like dude, their third best player. Yeah, he was last year for Brooklyn in the playoffs. He was their third best player. I mean, he had twenty five points, twenty four. Po- I mean, he would. He's a capable scorer. He's a great defender. He does, you know, he, he just understands team defense. And that's yeah. the one thing that I wanted to talk about in this series that I've seen so far in the first two games. The Nuggets just understand team defense. I don't know if you would throw any of these guys into the all-defensive category, but the way they've assembled this roster, they're perfect together. I mean, they just play so well together. You know, yeah. I, that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, to hold Phoenix to 87 points, I mean, even with a banged up Chris Paul, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. And you watched them play last year in that series they lost against the Warriors. People were hunting, like they were hunting that switch onto Nikola Jokic. Yeah. And you not, not saying that Jokic is a top-tier defensive center. He's obviously not. But this year, with how they've structured that team defense, you haven't been able to just have a guaranteed good look every time just by hunting that switch. Right, They're at right. least able to recover and make it a tougher play where, yeah, the Suns are still looking for that. Um, they run a lot of action to try to get Devin Booker and Nikola Jokic on the same side of the court. Mm-hmm. But it's not – I mean, if that was last year, that would have been open look for them every time. And right. now at least they're right. having someone, like you said, that team defense able to make it more difficult than it would have been. Yeah, and how about old man Jeff Green? Jeff Green, man. man. How I, many games? I, I don't have it in front of me, but I bet that dude has played in over 150 playoff games in his career. It's crazy. He's, he's just deep into the playoffs every year. And, you know, he doesn't do anything. I mean, you like Sam is like, man, Jeff Green is still playing quality minutes in the NBA and in, in NBA playoff games, but... He just finds a way to get it done. I mean, he only had two points, but there were a couple of times just the position he put himself in on defense. I mean, he just does the little things, and he's just such a quality veteran. He's invaluable to them. Dude, him and KD were drafted in 2007 by the Seattle Supersonics. I remember that. I remember that draft class. I never would have guessed that Kevin Durant and Jeff Green would be matched up in 2023 in a high-leverage playoff game. It's just crazy to see. I think Jeff Green, Al Horford, KD, and Mike Conley, I think, are the only four players from that 2007 2007 draft still in the league, probably. Joe Noah didn't play this year, did he? No. So then, no, yeah, he was the other one I was thinking about, but he didn't play this year. Yep, that'd be that'd be those four. That's it. Yeah, this is Jeff Green's uh, games played. He's he's not as high as you expect, but this is his eighth team. He's been on a playoff run with okay. eighth um, team, and on some pretty good teams. I mean, uh, the Nets that year that the Bucks won oh, yeah. the year that they almost. I mean, the Nets were a Kevin Durant he, he's giant probably, foot away from winning since that. James Harden and Kyrie were injured that series. I think Jeff Green was probably their next best player in that series. Yeah, maybe Blake he, Griffin. He had, Blake had Griffin twenty-seven had a good in uh, 
in a game four win. Yeah, I remember he hit like five or six threes. Yeah, in that seven game. of them. Seven, seven for threes. Eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember LeBron, that game. LeBron. Oh, LeBron brought him onto the squad yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and was talked about how important he was and how how much of a leader he was and. It was yeah. He's he's been important on a lot of really good playoff teams. Yeah. So I think ultimately we can all agree that Phoenix is looking at Denver and looking at the role players like KCP, Bruce Brown, uh, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Christian Brown, who is their rookie yeah. this year. All he's five of them guys. Good minutes. They would yeah. love to have any one of those five guys to add to their that would rotation. Be huge for them. And yeah. they're just those are the type of guys they're going to have to add this offseason if they're going to want to, you know, be taken serious next year. And next year, yeah, I, and I think the Suns, I mean, that's really not they've done the hard part, right, of putting together Yeah, they got their four guys. Uh, yeah, of a, and now they just need to have a solid. They don't even need to have a great offseason. They just need a solid one. And for this series, I I, I definitely think Denver's going to win it, but if Phoenix wants a chance, the way they set it up, Kevin Durant's going to have to go nuclear. He's I, either him or Devin Booker, maybe both, they're going to need to average a combined 75 points a night probably, especially yeah, with Chris Paul out. I don't ever remember Devin or Kevin Durant looking so passive uh, on yeah. offense. That I, I agree. With the Suns. I'm, I watched pretty much every game he played in Brooklyn this season, and he controlled the pace on offense. He completely controlled everything on offense. It was going through him. Obviously, he played with Kyrie, and Kyrie would get his looks. But the, it would be very rare for Kevin Durant just to defer right. multiple possessions in a row to you know the next best player. Because he's playing like Devin Booker is the best player on the team, which Devin Booker is good, but Kevin Durant is on that upper echelon, uh, right. upper echelon level right. of superstars, and he shouldn't be deferring that much. And if he wants to give his team... Because, again, I said that I think the Nuggets will win in five. I also wouldn't be surprised if the Suns ended up winning in six somehow. So that, that there's that for you. That's just how good KD and Devin Booker are. But, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I have on, on that series. Yeah, we got to get into the Warriors. And uh, I want to talk... I mean, we don't have to go back to the Sacramento series, but that was a, that was a great series. I mean that that was what probably the best round one series, uh, hands down. Oh, definitely. And, and then no doubt. to see Steph play the way he did, I mean that was I mean he was a maestro in that. I mean that was classic Steph in that. Unstoppable. I mean he was getting wherever he wanted to go on the floor and making just insane shots. I mean just crazy. Yeah, uh, I saw an article about uh, he had a pregame speech that gave all his teammates goosebumps. Apparently, he was up at 4 a.m. the night before texting Draymond because he was just so anxious about – not anxious. I guess that's not the word to use, but just so amped and just, th- up, yeah. just well, thinking about the like series. They played like trash yeah, on their home like floor. I mean, Sacramento ran them off of their home floor. I think they expected the young Kings to just – I mean, credit Sacramento, fantastic season. They just couldn't get it done. I think they expected – the young and inexperienced Kings to just kind of lay down and die right, game six right. on the road. And they, absolutely they did not do that. What's up, Chris? Yeah, they did not. And, uh, he, he came back in game seven on the road and, and just, I mean, how many points did he end up scoring? I can't get the box he had score. 50, to, yeah, he? He had 50 dude. For some reason, the Lakers box score against the Grizzlies <laughs> pops up when I click on. The yeah. L- yeah. He had 50. And I mean, and Sam was talking about it a little bit off mic. The rebounding. I mean, it was crazy. It seemed like 
every offensive rebound ended up in Kevon Looney's hands. Yeah. Or in every single one. If not his, then Andrew Wiggins would come in for a few. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that that was, I mean, other than Steph and his uh, unbelievable game, I mean, that was the difference in the game. I mean, way too many offensive rebounds. And it just seemed like the Kings could not finish a defensive possession. And the Golden State got so many second chances, especially in the second half. I think if you're a Kings fan, you definitely have to be happy with... I mean, losing in seven to the reigning champs, I mean, I think that's a pretty respectable way to go out. And especially, that's your first playoff series in 15... Was it 15 years? I can't even remember what it is. 17. It's Um, it's a ridiculous amount of time. 06 was the last time. But honestly, going into this offseason, I think you just keep the the squad together, maybe pick up a, a, a wing... To come off the bench, maybe, you're gonna need some some big depth for sure. Yeah, definitely some um, big depth. Although I think, uh, what's his name? Who is the? Who do they bring? Trey in? Lyles. Trey, Trey Lyles. Lyles he is played good. really well. Who's the backup center they were uh, playing in Alex that Len? series? Is Alex that, Len. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna have to either upgrade from. He had a pretty decent series, but I think they're definitely gonna need a better backup big. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I can't think of any other additions they would really have to make. I think you just bank on Keegan Murray improving, who had a great rookie season and was pretty much the only rookie besides, I guess, Christian Brown, who we talked about in the Nuggets series. He's the only rookie that's really had an impact on a playoff series this yep. year. Yeah. And then I hopefully was Davion with Mitchell. Malik Monk. Malik Monk. And then Davion Mitchell, I thought, upgraded his game in the playoffs. Oh, he, for he, sure. He played better yeah. as the series went on, um, too. Yeah. yeah, he really did. And, and, I was. He guarded Steph the whole series. Yeah, he was the only dude who had a prayer of staying in front of him. True, right, right. And I, I was disappointed in Sabonis. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if they didn't really run enough stuff through him or if he was too passive. But I thought they needed more. Dude, Draymond had him locked. Draymond up. and Kevon yeah, Looney tortured that, him. Mm-hmm. That, that that is true. I think really it, for an All Star. The All Star that he was this year, the only he only had one good game in the series in Game Six. Right. Other than that, I'd say they were all subpar games yeah. for an All Star. Yeah, and um, like Jake said, I mean, you, you have to give Draymond some credit for that. I mean, I mean, he, but I still think there were times where he could have affected the game more than he did. Yeah, I think for so. Sure. And watching it, uh, my my roommate in Waco pointed this out to me. You watch him post up. He has no he has no bag in the post none like none whatsoever his if if he can't get him I mean he has that crazy strength down there which a lot of times is that'll do it to for get you. Him open yeah but not against Draymond and Kevon Looney and if he couldn't get strength or then he would either have couldn't like bully his way in there against an undersized guy maybe Wiggins switched onto him yeah. then he would either put up a in two K it'd be a red contest heavily contested hook shot or a little layup or he'd pass it out I mean right. th- he's got to develop. Yeah, for a guy that can't yeah. shoot middies or you know space the floor out at all, you got to be able to score he in the post able, more he effectively. He needs to be able to score better from within fifteen feet. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I had on the the Sacramento Golden State series, which was is just a great series, and I can't wait to see the Kings back in the playoffs next year, and maybe they'll even get their revenge on the Warriors. We'll have to see. But uh, let's let's talk Lakers Warriors yeah. game one. Last uh, series that we haven't touched on yet in the second round is Lakers versus Warriors. And I can't believe we're sitting here talking about the Lakers up 1-0 in the second round against any team, regardless of it being the Warriors. I didn't even know if we'd see them in the postseason this year. Remember when we were talking in November? I mean, how bad they were. They were like the worst team in the league. Worst team in the league. They were shooting like 33 threes a game, and Sam and I were like, dear God, just... 
stop shooting threes. And Sam said it in the last episode, they found their identity. And they yeah. found the players that they needed to bring in and surround LeBron AD. And, uh, yeah, just LeBron and AD with Jared Vanderbilt. I predicted that he would start the series in Memphis guarding John Morant, and he did, and we've seen him guarding Steph a little bit. It is a little different when Golden State goes to their death lineup. Or they call it the pool party lineup where Draymond's at center, and they got Steph, Jordan Poole, Wiggins, Draymond, and who am I forgetting? Uh, uh, Clay. Oh, Clay. Yeah. Obviously, Clay. Clay. Yeah. yeah, so when they go small like that, it is a little more difficult for Vanderbilt to stay on the court because he can chase Steph around. But then when he has to switch on to Clay, and then he has to switch on to Poole, and then all of a sudden he's guarding Wiggins in the opposite corner, it's a little too much for him, I think. Yeah. Even though he's done a pretty exceptional job, like I said, on, on Ja and uh, early in this game one against Steph. Yeah, well, first of all, this is, I mean, taking that last shot of Jordan Poole out of the yep. equation, this is the best game I've seen him play in this year's playoffs. I mean, he's been almost detrimental to the Warriors he was in that in most of those games in the first round um and then I'm watching Lakers Warriors I'm like wow Jordan Poole's on the Lakers and then maybe the league are in trouble um and well and then he ended the game by I again Steve Kerr has two timeouts uh there's 10 seconds left Steph Curry is on your team and you take a 30 foot three with 10 10 seconds left Uh, it was strange I mean that's not the reason they lost or anything uh this but I I think the Warriors, they had Curry, Clay, and Poole combined for 40 attempts from three. I Even with all three of those guys shooting, I mean, Poole was six for 11, Curry six for 13. Clay was the only one who shot under 45% from three, was six for 16, which is still a fantastic night from three. I don't think that's the recipe for winning for the Warriors. Um, not that the Lakers are going to let those three guys shoot because especially – Curry and Clay might be the last two guys in the league you want to let shoot. But I think 40 attempted threes between those guys, the Lakers are going to be okay with that. Um, and if I'm the Warriors here, I'm like, man, we had a great three-point shooting night. The Lakers went six for 25 from three, which, again, they're not a three-point shooting team, but they're not going to shoot 24% from three all series. Um I don't know. I think the Warriors need to have an offensive game plan switch. They have to get to the free throw line more. And does this to. does this game one not kind of give you some does does it not remind you of some of the games we saw LeBron play against Steph in the finals all those years ago? Uh, the Warriors just we saw them do it to the Kings where they'll make like you said it last episode, Sam. They'll go on a 10-0 run. Clay will hit two threes. Curry will have an and one and a three. And all of a sudden, like what the hell is going on? The game is just slipping away from us. LeBron is the best player I've ever seen at weathering those runs that the that Golden State likes to go on. This is, well, I have it written down here. This is him and Steph's fifth playoff matchup, so they had four finals against each other. Yep. LeBron knows what he's doing. A couple stats I had that were pretty pretty interesting. I know you guys already brought up the Jordan Poole, Clay, and Steph combining for 40 threes and you know, making more threes than the entire Lakers yeah. team did. Uh, this is the first game in NBA history where a team made 15 more three-pointers than the other team, and then the other team made 20 more free throws than that team. Wow. So the the Warriors shot 5 of 6 from the free throw line, the Lakers shot 25 of 29. I know that we're going to hear from some Warriors players that the officiating was lopsided oh or it wasn't fair. We can't forget that the Warriors pretty much, I think they fouled either the most or the second most in the regular season. And yeah. you shot... 
you shot how you many shoot threes, that many jumpers, it's like you're not getting to the rim to get fouled. So it makes yeah, perfect you, sense. You can't bitch about that discrepancy. I mean, you're at home too. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, you're playing at home. And LeBron and AD were the first teammates in NBA history, in NBA playoff history, I should say, to go for 20, 10, and 5 with three blocks. And that that is the most since blocks started being tracked. So there was a lot of weird things happening in this game. I think the Lakers... You know, as much as the Warriors wanted to speed up the pace, and they did in the fourth quarter when they ran that Draymond at center lineup, they kind of came back from that 12-point lead the Lakers had built up. Yeah, They erased it pretty fast when they increased the pace, but the Lakers just slowed the game down. Anthony Davis was a beast, and I know you have some stuff on Anthony Davis. Yeah, so is is AD a Hall of Famer? 100%, no doubt in my mind. Right, right. He does, so if he retired after this year... He's a no doubt HOFer to you. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Um, it, since it's the basketball Hall of Fame, yes, because they also yeah. they also take into account. Um, I think it's your basketball contributions as a whole, okay. right? I, so I think it's the college like stuff that. actually also plays in. Which I mean, he had a fantastic season in 2012. Um, also, I think, I, I think because yeah, if this if he was playing baseball or if he was playing football, I would. Baseball for sure, no. Football he might later, but I think basketball, yes. Um, but I mean, we just yeah. saw Draymond Green and Kevon Looney bully Sabonis into having a terrible playoff series. He was an All Star this year. Yeah. Anthony Davis abused bullied, them. abused Draymond yeah, he, and Kevon really Looney did. last night. And that's what that's where I'm going because I'm not quite as sold as you, Jake. On yeah, he isn't as a Hall of Famer. To me, this game one. That version of AD is an, is a Hall of Famer to me. But to me, if the Lakers want to get through this series and then ultimately achieve their goal of winning another championship, that's the kind of AD they're going to need the rest of the and year. And yep. the Warriors shot 14 of 35 from the paint. That ties for the fifth lowest uh, percentage and lowest point total uh, in paint scoring all year, counting the regular season. That's the fifth worst paint scoring game we've seen all year. Yeah. And that is 100%. Well, okay, we'll be 90%. Generally like 90% yeah. due to Anthony Davis. Yeah. And what they're not even attempting shots in the paint because they know he's in there. I think he finished with five blocks, something like that. Yeah. It's just. He, he changed that Memphis series. I mean, he made it, he made it very difficult for Ja and the rest of the Grizzlies to score in the paint. And he made things miserable for the Warriors last night. So, I mean... He played the entire second half. They didn't have one minute where they were comfortable taking it to the paint. Right, right. So, I could make an argument that in the playoffs, AD has changed the game defensively more than anybody else in the NBA. I think that's oh, definitely this season, fair. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So far in the playoffs this year, he has been the biggest difference maker defensively and, more than anybody else. And it's interesting you bring that up because he outplayed the defensive player of the year in a six, what was it, six game series? Six, yep. They, he outplayed the defensive player of the year on that side of the ball. Right. I mean, he had right. a better defensive series than Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. did. Defensively, if there was a playoff defensive player of the year award, even I mean, he'd be the runaway winner at this point. Um, he just doesn't play enough games in the regular season. Well, to even and come that's close another. That. I was thinking about this actually earlier today about Anthony Davis. I think he's reinserted himself into the conversation for the best big men in the league, along with. Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. Now, I'm not saying he's better than any of those three because I'm not sure about that. But he's on the this, same level, he, close he's, to. He's getting 
back to that. I mean, after 2020, he was consensus, probably top three big man in the league after that finals run then, and then he's on and off the court with injuries. Right. He's way too passive on offense and doesn't quite have the effect defensively you'd like to see, at least consistently. And now, all of a sudden, he turns back into the AD that we knew from uh, New Orleans that from the 2020 yeah. finals run. And it's, this and is it's, what you expect to see. It's very interesting you bring that up because he's reinvented himself and reestablished himself as this player without you know, reincorporating the three ball into his game because that bubble run where they won yeah. the championship, he was a good three, good outside shooter for pretty much the entire postseason. Right. I think in the regular season too. Yeah. And ever since then, he's been, you know, a liability from three point range. He just stopped taking them pretty much altogether unless he's wide open in the corner. Yeah, only two. He had 19 field goal attempts, and only two of them were threes um, mm-hmm. last night. And I think we're gonna see more games like that where he shoots zero to two threes a game. And I think that's where he's most effective. And he's a good mid range shooter too. He knocked down a lot of big mid range jumpers to kind of yeah, quell did. the yeah, the did. Warriors runs they were going and on. Usually, I I think what I don't know why the Warriors thought this would work, but. It looked at times that they were running, and I expect them to fix this quickly, but it looked at times that they were running a similar defensive package against AD that they tried to run against Sabonis, where especially Draymond, you would watch him guard Sabonis, he would not even, like, if Sabonis was 18 feet from the basket, Draymond was at the in the paint still. Like, he mm-hmm. was not coming out there. That's how LeBron guarded Draymond in that yeah, game, too. That's you, funny. You cannot do that with Anthony Davis. Um, now, leave him open from three, maybe. Um if I'm the Warriors, I'd be okay with Anthony Davis taking like five threes a game, but not from the mid-range. That's what he loves to shoot, even if I think he should be in the paint more. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, that's not That worked against Sabonis in round one. It's not going to work against Anthony Davis. One thing I want to get out of here talking about is the trades that the Lakers made in the middle of the season were kind of criticized when they had a chance to maybe trade for Kyrie. Think about how different this team would look with Kyrie on the team instead of Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, D'Lo, and Rui Hachimura. Imagine if they had Kyrie instead of those four guys. They're too top-heavy. They wouldn't have a chance in this series, especially they wouldn't have Jared Vanderbilt to chase Steph around. D'Lo has hit a lot of big shots, actually, in this postseason. He's kind of proven himself as a as a real starting point guard he's been streaky but when streaky, he's on he's huge but effective yeah. he's still been effective for sure and, and even when he's missing shots he's still effective offensively and plays pretty solid defense yeah and that's what i, was, I forgot and, to mention that he's been a much improved defender yeah and all of those guys offer you much more defensively at multiple positions than mm-hmm. Kyrie does because yes. those guys can guard multiple positions and maybe Hachimura, Kyrie makes your offense better Vanderbilt Maybe not so much D'Lo, but those other guys can guard multiple positions, whereas Kyrie, I mean, he, he has guard trouble guarding anyone. Guards. You would put him on Clay, Steph, and Poole, and that'd be it. And that would be that would be right. a disaster. Yeah. Right. And the other thing is, you could look at that and be like, they need another score more, but no one really saw Hachimura and D'Lo being able to produce at the level they are throughout the first like seven games of the playoffs. I don't think anyone saw that coming at all. So that kind of negates the whole Kyrie would give you an extra 30 points a night. Yeah. They made fantastic moves at the trade deadline for sure. And here's the other problem that you have if you're the Warriors. Who else are you going to run at AD besides Looney and Draymond? They don't don't have anybody else on the roster that you can even think about matching up with him. And it's hard to play. Draymond and Looney at the same time, most of the time, with how with how the Lakers like to play, right, right, yeah, exactly. So you're gonna have to stagger them up, and 
if you don't, because you pretty much need both of them guarding Anthony Davis to stop him from, you know, crashing the offensive glass and scoring in the paint. But you can't play both of them the whole game. So it's going to be, it might be a long series for Golden State. Uh, I think Anthony Davis might be the reason the Lakers make it to the Western Conference and we Finals. Talked about, yep. We talked about the Lakers matching up well with Memphis. That was a good matchup for them. They really match up with Golden State pretty well, too. Especially if if Jared Vanderbilt now in game one, um, sorry, he was not he was not great offensively from the field. But if he and they in the fourth quarter when the Warriors made that run, they had pulled Vanderbilt out because they wanted more offense. Right. Mm-hmm. If Jared Vanderbilt is able to step his offensive game up and be to a point where he's shooting, like he's taking four threes a game, making two. I mean, he's two for seven from the field. If he can be. I mean, even just a change to four for seven from the field right. where they don't feel like they have to take him out for offensive purposes. And you can leave him in the game to play defense on Steph because he's the only guy in the Lakers who even has, I mean, you don't stop Steph, who slows Steph down. Right. I, yeah, that, the Warriors are in trouble. I think that for some reason Steve Kerr was playing with Steph off the ball a lot to start the game. I think they changed in the second half. They started possessions with him dribbling the ball more, and I think that's where he was more effective. But Jared Vanderbilt, with the length that he has at 6'9", and the quickness he has, just off ball, like it's hard to get the ball to Steph when he's denying the ball. It's just because you're risking, th- you're throwing a pretty risky pass yeah. to Steph. And you know the other uh, advantage the Lakers have is they can put LeBron onto Clay, and yeah, Clay he can score, but LeBron really doesn't have to chase him you know i mean he, he runs off of some screens they're going to run him off of some screens but lebron can take some possessions off defensively mm-hmm. against against them you know what i'm saying and you know lebron has played against this style of golden state offense for so long the lakers as a team and tristan thompson i guess lebron before the game said if you have questions on defense come to me coach ham or, or tristan thompson if you have questions about this stuff and off the ball the lakers are switching almost perfectly every possession they're, they're, they know exactly when to switch onto Clay when he's coming off a screen right. uh, to get an open three. They know when not to switch because the Warriors are great at baiting teams into you know switching when they're not supposed to, getting you know matchups on the side of the floor that they, they want because they just run the entire possession. But LeBron has played multiple finals against that offense and knows exactly what Steve Kerr and, and Steph Curry want to do on offense. Right. No one in the league would know better than LeBron, who, I mean, we all know the stories of him having that kind of uh, almost photographic basketball memory, and you best believe he was taking a lot of pictures for that photographic yeah. memory during those four finals runs. Definitely, so. and it's not even LeBron necessarily playing the effective defense. He's just orchestrating that defense really well as just, you know, a coach on the court. Yeah. Right. It isn't surprising. It's LeBron James. We know this, but I think that was just an, an important aspect to point out. Yeah, for sure. I think that pretty much we covered everything uh, in the po- postseason we wanted to, didn't we? Yeah, I think yeah. We're, we gotta we gotta catch up on the second half was of the there Sixers any, game. I don't think any of the other non like current playoff team news is really worth extending the this already kind of long episode nah. over. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we're good. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for tuning in. Uh, it was nice to have the whole squad in Lincoln together uh, instead of being remote. It's always fun to see you guys and. Uh, Hopefully we'll have another episode out before before the second round is is over. So, yeah, like I said, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one.